Welcome one and all to the Tech Force in Africa podcast, where we discuss and explore uh, some of the important issues that are affecting technology businesses in Africa. Now, this week's episode actually focuses on sustainability and business as a platform for change. I'm delighted to announce that for today, we're going to be chatting to Zugo um, Dwaba, who is here with us as uh, the area vice president and country leader for Salesforce in South Africa, as well as uh, Brian now, who is the CEO of nonprofit Rise Against Hunger. Zuko will be sharing his thoughts on what is needed to actually create a meaningful, um, a meaningful change in the sustainable business world and what he's actually learned over 25 plus years um, in a career in technology. Whereas Brian is going to be chatting to us about how businesses can contribute uh, to a sustainable approach to eradicating hunger in Africa and what his organization is actually doing to create sustainable projects that actually help local communicate. Uh, communities. Zugo, Brian, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Mario. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I think a good place for us to start usually, you know, to get the blood flowing. You know, we like to do a bit of an icebreaker. Uh, so that's where we're going to start before we get into the meat and potatoes of uh, today's discussion. Um, so firstly, Rugby Sevens or World Cup? Rugby Sevens. Yo? World Cup. Okay. Future on Mars? or present here on Earth? I'll stick with what I know on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And then? I'm with you on that one. We'll okay. stay here for now. <laughs> okay, cool. And then uh, reuse or recycle? This is a tricky one. I'll yeah. go with uh, recycle. Reuse. Physical meeting or Zoom? Physical meeting, any day. Also physical, definitely. Netflix or YouTube? I'll go with Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> YouTube to educate myself, yes. Netflix to relax. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's hard to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> to begin with, we are going to be starting off, as I said, we have uh, Brian and Zuko here, but I'm going to start off uh, with Zuko, who's actually had a number of uh, roles with a number of tech industry giants. And uh, can you tell us a little bit, you know, around, you know, some of that background and, you know, what actually made you take your recent role um, over at Salesforce? Yeah, thanks, Madiva. Um, with pleasure. Yeah. I don't generally like talking about myself, but I will do it for the purposes of what we're trying to achieve here today. Yeah. Maybe, maybe let me take a backdrop in terms of background where I started. So I, I'm a rural boy. I grew up in the rural areas of Eastern Cape. I then went to the University of the Western Cape and studied computer science and statistics, which was a huge gamble for me because, as you can imagine, this was in the early 90s. I knew nothing about computer science. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you'd appreciate that uh, parents back in those days, they wanted you to go to medicine, they yes, wanted you to take yes. legal and, and all these other formal um, yeah. professions. But I, I was fascinated by technology from a young age. I think a big part of that inspiration was from science fiction movies like Star Trek. Mm. And I was very strong in, uh, still am, in mathematics and science. Um, huge inspiration came from my grandfather, who was a mathematician, he's late now, he was yeah. a professor mm -hmm. T.W. Kambule, who was a professor, first black professor at Vets University. Wow. So I took a lot of inspiration out of that. That's yeah. how I built my trajectory in terms of getting to where I am today. Yeah. I, post my studies, I had the privilege of working for companies that were leading at the time when I was working for them. I have worked for possibly 95% of my career for multinationals. Yeah. Um, I worked for companies like... Uh, 
Atos Origin, Shlimbejesema, I worked for Oracle. Yeah. I worked for SAS Institute, uh, big in statistics. Uh, first time I really tested my side of my second major, which was statistics. Yeah. And then had the privilege of working for companies that were born in the cloud uh, in my latter uh, part of my career. What attracted me to Salesforce really is my passion for technology. Yeah. Um, I think be, before being a business person, I'm a technologist. I really, really love companies that are at the cutting edge of innovation and doing all these amazing things. Mm. I really, their values, their core values really resonated with me. Uh, innovation being one of them, um, equity, um, trust and mm. customer success, ensuring that what we do uh, for customers is the reason why we are uh, existing as an organization. Yeah. Last but not least is sustainability, which is a really, really amazing uh, point of interest and something that we need to take seriously. So that's how I joined Salesforce. Really sounds like quite a storied career, you know, that, you, that you've gone through and at least you've managed to maintain yourself in, in your areas of uh, passion and strength. I actually like the fact that um, you make a distinction between mathematics and statistics because I think a lot of people just look at it as all, you know, numbers related and all that. Uh, but now that you're here, you know, at Salesforce, uh, can you talk to us about what the journey has been like actually establishing a physical uh, presence, you know, for the company um, in South Africa and what have been some of the big challenges that you've faced in actually doing so? It's been an amazing journey. It's really been a privilege for me to be part of a journey like that. Uh, of course, um, I did a similar thing. I started uh, Workday in South Africa a couple of years back before I joined Salesforce. So it's really, really a privilege for me in my career to be able to start amazing companies like this. So from a Salesforce point of view, when we started the journey in South Africa, basically building an entity, Salesforce had built a strong foundation already yeah. in South Africa. There was a significant amount of presence uh, through our customers that we've had that we were at the time serving remotely. It just made total sense for us to have physical presence here. So we opened the entity beginning of this year. Yeah. It's, it's been a journey and a half. Uh, as <laughs> yeah. you can imagine, you asked about challenges. Yeah. You, I'm sure you would appreciate that it was on the back of a pandemic. And yeah. it was at a point where we're not sure whether we're out or we're still within the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So, um, but be as it may, it was, I think a big part of the challenge was moving out of that working from home world and trying to get back to the, to the way of working today. I don't think it's really back to the office. It's the way of working yeah. in, in, the day, in the day and age that we're living in. So as Salesforce, we're really at a sweet spot yeah. to help organizations have their find that way of uh, pivoting and get to the next level in terms of engaging with their customers. Mm. No, no, it really sounds like this year has been quite busy. And one can imagine that for the foreseeable future that, um, you know, your time and your energy will be directed to making sure that everything on the ground is, you know, where it needs to be. And I think for a lot of people, they've just accepted that, you know, we're just here in this yeah. world post, you know, pandemic, you know, what does that, you yeah. know, mean actually going forward? Um, so, Brian, I want to, you know, move to you because you guys have a big goal, you know, eradicating hunger is, is huge. Uh, right. How do you actually balance trying to solve for hunger? Because it means that you, you need to feed, you know, you literally need to feed people. But at the same time, trying to uh, balance that out with, you know, some of the sustainability issues, such as, you know, how the farming practices and the like. Talk to us about that. Well, 
Yeah, so I mean, our, our, our primary sort of focus is, is on distributing nutritious meals, right. predominantly to children between the ages of one and six. Mm. We believe it's very important um, to, to provide children during the formative years, their developmental years, with the right uh, nutrients um, to grow. And our programs mainly link it with education. So we're linking good nutrition and education. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's, 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 it's a mammoth task. Um, you know, one meal at a time, one, one kid at a time. And, and so you just keep working into that. Um, but our long-term strategy <clears throat> is moving a lot more into community food security mm. um, and empowering communities to, to grow their own, to grow their own food and become more self-sufficient. Yes. So eventually the handout side will, you know, reduce and, and the, the farming side and, and all the other different uh, opportunities that there are to, to produce food, whether it's, you know, eggs, vegetables, bakery, bread, those kind of things, yeah. they'll become more and more prominent. Initiatives like this really, really need to be acknowledged. I mean, I mentioned in my intro the privilege that I have working mm -hmm. for Salesforce. If it went for Salesforce, I probably would not have interacted with Brian's organization. Yeah. You know, they're doing an amazing job uh, yeah. in the country and around the world. I had the pleasure, um, so Salesforce have got something that we call VTO, so volunteering time off. Basically, every single employee out of more than 80,000 employees have got seven days of giving back, basically volunteering time. Yeah. And I had the pleasure of my very first VTO, in fact, two of them, I've done with uh, Rise Against Hunger, which was a really, really humbling experience, really made me realize, it was a wake-up call for me to realize the mammoth task that we are faced with from a global perspective. So, so kudos to, yeah. to Rise Against Hunger. No, thank you. Um, and I always say we, we can't do what we do without business, so Absolutely. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Our colleagues in the US have been using Salesforce for, for quite a long time, um, and we've recently started to, to adopt the program, and we, we're sort of implementing it and, and building it out. So our first phase of, of using Salesforce is more from a, a customer relationship management, the CRM side of things, yeah. because that's really critical. Um, you know, we've got different divisions within the organization. There's the marketing and fundraising, and then there's the distribution, um, and then there's the sustainable farming, and, and everybody's, and then the finance, and everybody's using different spreadsheets on cloud-based platforms. Mm. Um, but to, to bring all that data together, um, and, and specifically when it comes to, to donors, um, to, to ensure we know <clears throat> how much they're giving us, what their focus is, and it's also critical for reporting. Um, you know, the <clears throat> quite a few years ago, a donor would just give you money yep. um, to tick the box, to get the tax mm -hmm. rebate, mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, maybe use it as a bit of a marketing tool. You know, the, these days it's really changed. They have the whole divisions within these corporates um, to really, they, you know, align who they're going to support with their uh, CSI initiatives, yeah. and then they want to know that the impact that they're making. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, th I think as, as we grow and as an NGO, we're not in that tech space, but we have to uh, up our game and really get into it, um, because uh, from a from a donor relationship part, um, our, all our impact that we do, our distribution can become almost real time yeah. as it's uploaded out in the field. Yeah. And it just makes it so much easier to share with the donor. Mm. In fact, you could almost allow 
donors to have all, real time on, on the impact that they're making in, in that space mm. that mm. they're supporting. Yeah. So, you know, the, the whole data collection and data management is really going to, yeah. is really key in the NGO space um, if, yeah. if you want to keep moving forward. Okay. Um, Zuko, Brian is bringing up a very interesting point about the changing mindsets, you know, within corporates um, around issues of sustainability and, you know, how they're engaging with their communities. Uh, you know, we talk about people, planet, profit and the like. Um, could you talk to us about how you've seen attitudes around sustainability um, perhaps evolving or changing, you know, through your through your career? I think you alluded to this earlier as a business becoming more and more a platform for change. Yeah. You know, um, I've seen over the past couple of years companies taking that shift, you know, um, obviously for any private organization or public listed entity, um, at the core, one of the things that's important is profitability. But companies have realized that uh, it's almost impossible doing that with neglecting the most important thing, which is the planet yeah. uh, we live in. And companies are starting to realize this, certainly Salesforce, we are trying to encourage people to leave the planet a better place than we found it. Yeah. So combining these two is actually an amazing uh, journey for, yeah. for, for all of us. And we, not as individuals, as Salesforce, we, because we're not going to win this battle alone, certainly we're trying to be more and more involved with organizations around the world that are part of driving the sustainability agenda. Yeah. Um, we, we can talk uh, later on maybe about uh, organizations like uh, 1T.org that we are a founder member of. The T is trees, basically is one trillion trees around the world. Yeah. A commitment that was made and Salesforce as part of that organization by 2030. And what we have done is basically driving the planting of trees around the world. Yeah. And we currently at about, from a Salesforce perspective, we're not doing this alone. We've planted more than 60 million trees around the world. Mm. And that is something that to help, you know, with the whole driver on deforestation and ensuring that uh, we are offsetting the carbon emissions that we continuously faced with yeah. as a planet. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, when I was in business school at Rhodes, um, it was specifically leadership for sustainability. And there was a big theme, um, you know, around that. And at the time, they were actually predicting, you know, to say that this is going to become a huge issue um, uh, for corporates and businesses, you know, going forward. And mm, they were trying mm. to train us, you mm. know, to start thinking in that way. So it's always very interesting to see how, you know, what we were being taught about back in those days yeah. that I think they, they, they might have been a little bit ahead, yeah. you know, of yeah. their time, you know, when you yeah. then reflect on the experience that you've had. And one of the things that then comes with that is reporting. And that's actually something that, you know, Brian, yeah, Brian, mentioned, yeah. Brian yeah. mentioned just now, um, you know, to say the issue of sustainability is now being reported on so much more. Are multinationals doing enough, you know, to report, um, you know, on the, on the issues, you know, that they're dealing with, uh, particularly mm -hmm. around their sustainability targets? And I think emissions has tended to be a very big and contentious yeah. issue. Yeah. Well, it's hard to say are they doing enough. It yeah. is It is a journey. Yeah. Um, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, I mean, just, just on the point you mentioned about uh, things that you learned many years ago and then they come to the surface many years later and you're yeah. like, wow, this was actually quite visionary. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'll give you an example uh, at the risk of digressing a little bit. Yeah. When I was doing my first year, 
30 years ago. I was studying about artificial intelligence and it just didn't make sense to me. <laughs> but look at how it is applied on everything that yeah. you're doing nowadays. Yeah. To come back to your question, I think one of the things that um, they might not be doing enough companies around the world today, um, but what is encouraging, what is really, really encouraging, this topic is becoming more and more topical. Yeah. A good example is that uh, I always joke and say it was my welcome present to Salesforce because when I joined Salesforce, Salesforce introduced sustainability, which was the beginning of this year. Yeah. Sustainability is a core value, yeah. right? And I'm seeing more and more companies starting to do this. Mm. They might not necessarily have it as a core value as yet, but yeah. they are having those conversations boardroom meetings yeah. include sustainability. They have to report on sustainability. Yeah. You know, ESG is becoming more and more topical. Um, CEOs have got this as part of their KPIs. They are measured on this. So I would say my answer to your question around, are they doing enough? I think what we're doing now, or what organizations are doing now, is arguably quicker, more visible than what was done maybe the past 20 years yeah. or when you were at Rhodes from, yeah. a, from an action point of view. Yeah. And when it comes to that, actually, it is very interesting to see that a number of corporates have actually started, in addition to just KPIs, some of the um, executive packages for some of the um, JSC-listed companies are now being tied to uh, some Absolutely. of those ESG, uh, what you call this ESG goals. So for Salesforce in particular, you mentioned the fact that it's now become a core value, right? That has been announced, this has been communicated through the organization. How is this actually translating on a day-to-day -day level uh, over at Salesforce, and how does it? Um, how do you make it so that it's not the tick box type so type of thing that Brian was alluding yeah, to yeah. earlier on? Well, good good question. Uh, I touched on this briefly as one example of the one tea yeah. planting of trees around the world. That's yeah. something that's quite significant, and I'm sure you'd agree with me. Sixty million trees is a lot of uh, trees, and that is still growing. We we're still building on that. But we're part of a bigger organization, so it's not just about Salesforce. It's the one T.organization yeah. as a responsibility to plant a trillion trees. So yeah. that's the one part. The one thing that uh, is also quite important is that uh, Brian alluded to this, is the reporting on this. Mm -hmm. You know, Salesforce are reporting to this on, a, on, on this on an annual basis. It's visible. It's in the public domain. We say exactly where we are. And where we are today, as things stands, we are sitting at net zero carbon emissions. Mm. And... You'd say, what does that mean? Because carbon emissions are continuously happening. You know, uh, I take a flight to Europe or to the US, that's carbon emissions. But what are we doing? I mean, it's, it's uh, we're trying to slow down the acceleration in terms of the net zero emissions. We're trying to be ahead of the curve. Yeah. If we were to be able to do that with many more organizations around the world, I'd say that we've got a better chance of, fast, of uh, winning the battle against uh, climate change and all these things that we, I think we trying to play catch up, yeah. a lot of catch up. So, which means that the acceleration has to be at an exponential rate for yeah. us to continuously be ahead of the curve. Mm. So what we're doing, we're doing that as an organization. And we also have, as you know, we are a, a cloud company. So we build technology. Yeah. So one of the things that we do, we help organizations around the world with a cloud that specifically for sustainability, yep. a net zero cloud. Yep. So that is basically around for companies to put a baseline on where they are and what is it that they want to achieve with a time frame yep. and be able to measure that. You know, when you were talking about uh, CEOs and listed companies on a, a, a stock exchange level, 
they need to be able to report on those and we, we help with that, uh, um, creating that baseline and reporting on that on an annual basis. Mm. Sounds like there's a lot of progress you know, that's, that's, uh, that's been made. But your catch-up point does allude to the fact that there's still a little bit more work uh, that needs to be done. Some might argue to say that we are still nascent, you yeah. know, in uh, our understanding of ESG and how, you know, um, you can get to the net zeros, uh, you know, that we're talking about. But I want to come back to you, Brian, uh, around uh, your, what you call this, your ethos um, as Rise Against Hunger to understand um, you guys have you've given us the mission, right? And to maybe understand some of the other things that you guys are doing, or how you are actually uh, operationalizing on the ground. So yeah, I mentioned just now about one of our core programs called the ECD Connect program. Yeah. Uh, early childhood development. Um, so for us, it's not just about feeding the kids nutritious food. Mm. Um, it's a very much of an outcomes uh, measurable program that we have. Uh, in, in a nutshell, for every one box of, of meals that we give to the ECD, it creates a savings for them of around about 300 Rand. Um, and then we sort of walk a journey with them over a period of years and ensure that they're reinvesting that money back into the facility yeah. to, to improve the educational standards, um, teacher training, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you know, over the years, <clears throat> we've seen a whole lot of these uh, creches, daycare centers, ECDs um, develop from one small room at, at the back of the house with maybe 30 or 40 children in it of all different ages. Um, and, and through that, that savings that we help create, they're able to build two, three classrooms, start splitting the kids. Um, they, they have now the resources to send their teachers and practitioners to, to, to get proper qualifications in that space. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that in itself creates you know, additional jobs. Um, and just improve the overall learning environment and the health and safety environment. Yeah. And so the main aim for these ECDs is that they're able to comply with all um, <clears throat> Department of Basic Education standards, previously DSD standards, and start receiving a grant. Yeah. And then we will slowly exit and take on, on more. So we're creating sort of these small micro enterprises you know, and it's just helping them to build. And, and so that's a key space for us um, and, and not just on, on the food side. Um, one of the things that undeniably has affected all um, companies, organizations, governments and people around the world has been COVID-19. And in you describing all of your different activities, um, one of the things that uh, was apparent is the fact that for you guys, 2019 was, you know, your best year uh, on record right how have you guys how are you guys can i use the word recovering or Shift. you know <laughs> you know post yeah. uh, the, you know those years to actually balance out what happened yes i mean it obviously made a huge impact um so from from a funding side we were very fortunate that a lot of mm. corporates who had already committed in 2020 to to be part of the meal packing events we do and what have you they still kept their commitment. So we're still able to, to, to get the funding. Um, you know, our whole fundraising model entails getting, you know, up to 20 people on production lines, shoulder to shoulder, mm. packing our meals. Yeah. And of course, with social distancing, that, that really, you know, changed things. So fortunately, the funding still came in. Um, and then what we did is we employed people at our three warehouses around the country. 
um, to pack full time. It's, it's a much more controllable environment. You can you know, move them around. Um, and so we actually got people on a full time basis to pack these meals. And then our, our distribution uh, shifted. A lot of our ECDs that we, we deal with obviously were closed. Um, so then we were able to um, get into that space to assist people who had been affected you know, by COVID who weren't able to, to work and only earn a living. Yeah. Um, and and from, a, from an NGO space, it really took us all, I think, mm -hmm. to another level because we all started working together. Yeah. Um, we were able to distribute in, in nine provinces around the country, and we, we don't have we didn't have a presence before, but we were able to you know team up with other NGOs in that space who were already on the ground and work together and provide them with meals. So from that side, it, you know, it was quite a learning mm -hmm. curve. Um, yeah, and, and from from a fundraising side, it really caused us to you know pushed us to think out the box and. Um, get some diversity within our fundraising stream and not just these meal packing events, which we typically known for with, with, with corporates. And yeah, we created some online events, virtual events, um, tap more into individual donors. Um, and we did some, some really fun projects. Um, but yeah, you had to yeah. really you know, get creative. Crisis can really be an opportunity yeah. you know, if you're open-minded and you see it in that, uh, in that way. Um, I mean, I would encourage you to to try this out i mean it's it's really really amazing it's an yeah. amazing experience it's yeah. really I, I call it food for the soul yeah. you know the and brian was talking about a minimum of 20 people that are there you know we participated in one in cape town and in johannesburg Correct. it was really amazing to see the energy there and people feeling like they are part of change yeah because i have always believed in my life uh, that uh you know, there's a lot of dependency on governments. Yes, governments have got a civil duty to, to do some of those things. But, you know, as business, we've got an opportunity to, to, to accelerate this, to your point around working against time. Yeah. And, and I think as individuals, we also have an opportunity to be part of the solution, all of us. Yeah. You know, so, so this is truly, yeah. truly amazing. You know, you talk about the events and the energy. I don't, I've, I've done <clears throat> hundreds and hundreds of events over the years, and I don't think I've ever been to a bad one. Yeah. Um, they all because I think people inherently want to do good yeah. and everybody wants to help. They might just not know where to help or maybe they don't have the time to help. And mm. maybe often help is often thought of as just digging deep, mm. giving money. Um, so that it's a great platform, um, yeah. you know, to, to get corporates together, make it a team building event. And, and there's a lot of energy and positivity because it is people are doing good yeah. and people want to do good. Now, I think, uh, you know, for, for your organization, I, I really think Zuko uh, is, it should be employed as an evangelist of some sort because... I'm committing to doing another one and Brian has to be there. No, definitely. Be there. Sometimes uh, the argument against, you know, sustainability issues back in the day yeah. was uh, this feeling uh, that uh, if you try to protect the planet and people and communities, the environment and all that, it might come at the cost, you know, of your of your bottom line. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, everyone in business is there to make a profit. But does sustainability have to come at the sacrifice um, of profits? I'm going to start with the corporate person yeah. here uh, just to get your take on that one. Well, it couldn't be far from the truth. Mm. It is perception. You know, uh, there's a lot of people who believe that. Um, 
fortunately, there are organizations like mine who have realized that uh, for many years now, you know, that uh, doing good is doing well. Yeah. You know, these the two are not mutually exclusive. You can do good and still do well as an organization. Mm. And if you've been following Salesforce as a company for them, and Salesforce is a company that's relatively young, it's about 23 years old, 23, 24 years old now. Yeah. But when you look at the how the company has grown at an exponential rate at an average of about 25 to 30% year on year mm. and paid close attention to sustainability. Mm. So this is why I'm saying that couldn't be far from the far off from the truth. Yeah. It's uh, the two are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. It is possible to do both. Yeah. Fact of the matter is that if we do not take care of this planet, then what is the point okay. for our future generations? Yeah. So that's the argument that's coming in from Zuko to say, look at one of the fastest growing um, companies in the world, you know, relatively young, 23 years old. They've, ma they've achieved massive growth, you know, but still being able to keep an eye and invest in, you know, sustainability. Yeah. Your business model slightly, you know, is, is different, but, you know, your take on the profitability issue. Well, if I, if we if we drill down to some of the the projects that we're you know involved with, like the sustainable farming, for example, um, some of the smaller projects that we have based at these ECDs, um, by kickstarting them, getting them going, and letting them grow their own vegetables, is saving them money, because they don't have to go and purchase that veg now. The bigger community projects we have. And we're able to supply a whole lot of women within that community who have their smaller micro vegetable markets. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so previously they would have to either drive all the way to the Joburg market, drive back, you know, 60 kilometer trip, cost money, um, or use a middleman and he's making his profits. Whereas now they can literally walk to, to one of our areas. Um, and whether, you know, so they, they, their input costs are reduced and they'll probably um, you know, there's pretty much standard prices within communities. So th their costs are coming down, their profits are going up. And, and that's just really down, drilling down to the, the, the smaller basics. Yeah. Um, but I, I, th I think overall, um, creating as many, whether it's environmental or in, in the food space, yeah. all these sustainable projects, it, it's really going to save a lot of money long term. Yeah. Because those are going to end up with huge costs mm -hmm. yeah. to fix the problems. Yeah. I'll actually relate, you know, a story of, uh, you know, where I grew up and where I think you can see, you know, issues of sustainability actually acting positively for the bottom line. Where we grew up, it's a giant sugar farm. And what was interesting is that housing in the area was built by the company, right? And what was interesting is that your water systems they run two uh, they run two parallel water systems mm. so the water that is attached to our house or in our house is treated uh treated water good for drinking mm -hmm. but all taps that are not attached to a building that are outside are uh, is raw water that's coming straight uh, from a river or whatever the source mm. is so mm. you can uh, what you call this you can go and water your plants your gardening yeah. all of that stuff without necessarily putting your strain on the yeah, water for drinking exactly but the clever thing is obviously the fact that grass takes way more water than me just showering yeah. you know so if you're just going to put water um, straight from the river that's way more sustainable and it's mm. costing you less because uh, your treated chemicals and all of that are just for 
the the aspect of you know the drinking water. So I can definitely yeah. see the argument, you know, from we'll uh, take it you're a KZN boy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> <fine>. Related. <laughs> you, with 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 the water as well, <clears throat> um, it, it, with our sustainable farming uh, projects, um, the first one we started off as very sort of traditional farming. But the new one we we about to to start, which is based at the uh, Vol University of Technology, mm-hmm. is going to be really exciting because it's a pure hydroponics um, oh, wow. type type yeah. setup. Um, <clears throat> and so we become also we've got to think very water wise. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of water around now, but you know two three years time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I mean one has to think of these things, and it might be a, a bigger cost now, yeah. uh, input cost, but it's certainly going to be, you know, save, save us long term um, when you start paying a fortune for water. I like yeah. this place that we are in the conversation because um, clearly there's a, there's a business case, you know, for sustainability investing in it. And the question is about why is it important to be a leader, you know, a, business, a leader in business when it comes to uh, sustainability? Focusing on sustainability is it, it's, it's a must. It, it's something we have to, it's a reality, it's something we really have to start dealing with more and more and more. So if, if you're not aligning your programs, um, <clears throat> which in every field you're in, you're gonna be left behind. So whether you're a leader or just part of it, it's something that is now, has to be part of your business model, mm-hmm. um, you know, for-profit or non-for-profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously if you can, try and stay ahead of the curve and, and keep up with the latest technology and be seen as a leader, then you could obviously get a lot more support um, and, and move that change and, and that mindset a lot quicker. Yeah. Other than uh, an obsession to be a leader from a country perspective, <laughs> which is debatable in, in, in Africa because we've seen countries overtaking South Africa in some parts, yeah. of, parts of Africa. Yeah. But I think uh, South Africa sits, sits in a very, very sweet spot because we arguably one of the most developed uh, economies and uh, countries in Africa. So there's a lot of inspiration that a number of countries in Africa take from South Africa. So I see this as a, an amazing opportunity to inspire others. I also see that there's a, you know, in every crisis there's an opportunity to learn as well. Yep. You know, we've seen, we've had hard times, tough times in yep. South Africa and most recently, you know. We've seen places that have had drought, places that have had a huge impact. And, you know, when there's no rain, it affects the very same environment that Brian was talking about. You know, how do you grow plants? How do you ensure that you feed people? Yeah. So from a sustainability point of view, the responsibility is huge. That at, in times like these, where we've got lots of rain, we need to be smart on how we use the water. To your example that you, you gave just now, you know, I think for me, the importance of South Africa leading is to help the entire continent because we are interlinked whether we like it or not. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're in South Africa or you are in West or East Africa. And we might learn other things from other parts of Africa, but but I think from a leadership point of view, it's a golden opportunity for yeah. us. It's really great, you know, to see all the efforts that are being made to actually bring, um, you know, the world of sustainability and business together and all of the different efforts, you know, that are being made and how, you know, your two organizations are, you know, working uh, to possibly tackle one of the biggest problems, um, you know, that exists in the world. And, you know, it has really been a great, uh, you know, discussion, just understanding how, you know, you can have people that are passionate 
you know, on two sides. But if they come together, you know, you can really go far, you know, on that front. And how sustainability over time um, has evolved in terms of the journey, you know, back in the day being, you know, something that people sort of uh, took as uh, nice to have or a tick box, but now to a point where it's now a core, you know, business value and something that's uh, something that businesses are actually, um, you know, investing in. And I think that's a nice way for us to round up, you know, today's discussion. Uh, But before I let you go, um, we have a tradition here uh, where we ask, you know, uh, just our final question. And uh, Zuko, this one is, uh, you know, for you, uh, just around your best and worst um, career advice. Wow. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm getting old because I have to like think back <laughs> to what I was told back in the days. I, I'd say I was actually quite fortunate to that I, at a very young age, uh, from a career point of view, I got what I would say is arguably good advice that, you know, do not compromise the long-term goal with short-term goals. Yeah. You know, that's the advice that uh, for me, it still resonates to the day. But I think as I get older, one of the things that I've really realized maybe is a spin-off out of that is that uh, we all, as long as you live a life with purpose, a job becomes something totally different. You know, you become passionate about what you're doing because there's a bigger purpose other than just making a living. So I'd say in my 25 plus years, that's one of the things that I have learned. And as a result, the organizations that I work for, certainly with uh, Salesforce, I, it, it is a big part of my purpose. Yeah. And part of that purpose is how do I make a difference? Mm-hmm. How do I leave a legacy yeah. and lead the company to the next frontier? Next frontier. All right. Brian, uh, for you, it's about what uh, best and worst business advice that you've ever had. Best and worst business advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Refer this back to, to Zuko. <clears throat> um, I, I, yeah, I, th- I think from if if I could just talk about our own organisation when we when we look at our business, is to really you know you pick where you want to go, you pick your focus and your challenge, and try and stick to it. Mm. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of opportunities for certain companies to become quite diverse. Um, but I think in, in our space, we have to remain focused on, on what we want to do to make the biggest impact. Yep. Um, and, and so even our sustainable farming and our feeding, they all tie into that early childhood development um, to remain focused on there. Um, the worst, uh, the, 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 what did you say, the worst of us? Yeah. Um, would possibly not keep up with all your uh, due diligence documents because <laughs> the, the world in the NGO space has changed um, and corporates really delve in and do huge due diligence on, on NGOs yeah. um, from tax and compliance to you name it. Um, so if you're in that space, make sure your paperwork's in yeah. order otherwise. And I guess it speaks to the report you mentioned earlier as well, ensuring that you've got everything T's crossed. Correct, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's, you know, I think there's, there's so many new charity entrants, mm. which, which, you know, um, their intentions might be worthwhile, but maybe they can't fulfill their yeah. initial yeah. purpose. Um, and unfortunately, like in every space, there are those who are going to take a chance um, and, um, you know, get some money and buy a new car for themselves. Okay, cool. 
So uh, I think that's a good place for us uh, to end today's uh, today's discussion. I'm uh, not sure if there's anything else to add, but it's uh, you know really been a great one um, seeing the partnership uh, that you guys have. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure. Do, do you want to? Yeah, I would love to ask Brian if he <laughs> yes. doesn't mind. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doing this, Brian, yeah. but it's a, it's an opportunity for me to, <clears throat> to feed my curiosity. Yeah. You know, you are in the space of trying to make a difference in the world. Yeah. And one thing that I always ponder on is that. Uh, we're still struggling with world hunger, even though there is so much surplus food in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you would have the numbers, probably in excess of 30% that's food that's going to waste. What's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sometimes very difficult to understand. The overall worldwide number of people who are food insecure is actually increasing. Um, at, at one point it was decreasing, so mm -hmm. it's almost like we're kind of going a bit backwards. And, and you're right, the, the stat is around about 30% of all food that's produced is, is ending up on wastefuls. Um, I, you know, I think there's always going to be hunger in the world due to conflict and, and droughts brought on by climate change and what have you. So there's always going to be those scenarios. Um, but there shouldn't be, and, and specifically in a country like South Africa. Mm. But I think we... Um, there's a lot of organizations that are making progress and a lot of corporates, uh, businesses that are, you know, moving into that space of sorting out waste uh, or excess food, for example, um, looking at ways on, on how to, to move food around to, to, to mm. those who need from, from, from the surplus. Um, but I, I definitely think, for me, it, it's going to take collaboration of government, business, civil society, and individuals. Um, and the point is, who's all going to drive it? So in my opinion, government should be driving something like that. Yeah. Um, business is already coming to the, mm -hmm. the party, but it'll, it'll just provide a better platform for them yeah. to come to the party. Yeah. And <clears throat> and then from, from an individual perspective, you know, sometimes in, in like 2020 or just after the floods, you know, hunger is prevalent on everybody's mind. Mm. Um, and everybody's aware of it. Mm. And then it, it comes off the front pages of the yeah. news yeah. and it dies down again and you go back to your day-to-day -day life. So that's why we always encourage, we call it growing the movement, and mm. we always try and encourage people to just, you know, continuously think about it, repost, retweet, you know, messages about hunger because it's still there. Um, if it's off the front pages, we still have, you know, 13, 14 million people in this country that yeah. are food insecure. Yeah. Um, okay. So collaboration, and there's not enough collaboration, and that's probably why we end up in that situation. Mm, mm. Um, as I said, there's things which are inevitable in a country like South Africa. I mean, I know pre-COVID we were a net exporter mm. as opposed to an importer, yeah. and yet we have such a food crisis. crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot to be done, um, and we can do it. Um, but yeah, and, and hopefully government will just drive it a little bit more. And uh, for everybody to come together, it, I, I think we, we can in hunger, specifically in South Africa. So growing the movement. Yeah. Maybe I didn't solve your question. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, so what you're saying, yeah. I mean, to, to summarize <clears throat> the words of Nelson Mandela, it always seems impossible until we do it. 100%. You know, as long as there are yeah. organizations like yours and, and the partnerships that we have yeah. with, uh, with us and many other organizations, they it's within us Correct. to achieve this. And it's a case of, of constantly, you know, chipping away, chipping Absolutely. away at, at, yeah. the, at, at the problem. Absolutely. Um, 
and, and you know, eventually Thanks we'll on. get there. Yeah. But um, we have to remain optimistic. No. I am always optimistic because I get to deal with so many different yeah. businesses. So that brings us uh, to the end of this discussion. It was a brilliant one, uh, you know, talking to uh, Brian and talking to Zuko just around, you know, all of the issues around sustainability. I'd say there were two, you know, very key points uh, that came out. Uh, the first one uh, being the fact that there has really been a big evolution just around how uh, companies and businesses are thinking about and investing in uh, sustainability and how they're actually um, you know, measuring it. And then secondly, uh, to say that there's a lot of power that comes when you have those synergies. Uh, that come from people attacking uh, the problem from different sides. And I guess a bonus is uh, the fact that technology can actually be used in a big way, you know, to measure what's actually happening on the ground and to improve um, a lot of the processes uh, that have been there. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you very, thank you much. very much. It's been great. It's been good. All right. Thanks. So that brings us to the end. That has been another edition of uh, Tech, Force, uh, uh, Tech Force Africa, where we explore important issues that are affecting technology businesses in Africa. This was Tech Force Africa. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating and a review. See you next time.